You've landed on The Substance, a podcast aimed at being biblical, thoughtful, and human. Join us each week as we engage the culture without the culture war. I'm your host, Philip Marinello, here with my pals and co-hosts, Trevor Aiken. What's up, everybody? And Vincent Edwards. How's it going? Man, no howdies today. No howdies no. today. I decided, keep it, I was keeping thinking the about listeners it. on their toes. Yeah, <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about going howdy, and I was like, no, nah, I think we'll keep this episode howdy free. Sure. Howdy free. Except, except for all the times we just literally said howdy. Right. <laughs> well, there you go. So, uh, listener, if this is your first outing on the Substance Pod, thanks for clicking. We welcome, are. Uh, we're a variety show. Uh, technically, we are in the religion and spirituality category. We're very much a Christian variety show. Yes. Uh, this one's going to be a little bit more... Um, what would you call this, Trevor? This one's one of our reflects. And sometimes with reflects, we go deep on cultural issues. TM, engaging the culture without the culture war, right? But then a lot of times we also go in things that directly relate to the church, Christianity, Christian theology, Christian living, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's going to be today. I mean, we have a wide variety. We've got over 60 episodes in the bank there. We've got topic toss-ups where we do short form topics like this. We do book reviews. We do film reflex. I really enjoy those a lot. We got to get some more books in the, uh, in the mix here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think people really enjoy the variety. I know I enjoy it. Uh, I enjoy it. Different stuff to listen to. There's not a lot of Christian shows I know out there that do things like that. If we only did one of those every week, I feel like that would get a little monotonous, especially at the the support rate right now. Like, I feel like that would just be challenging. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd say, too, like, even though that we're a Christian show and this is a Christian topic today, I, I don't think you need to be a Christian to benefit from the topic I- anyway, because some of the stuff that we're talking about does have crossover into wider culture. Um, talking about ways that people use public speaking platforms and basically things that they say to pull authority and things like that. So. Even if you're not a believer, you're like, I don't, I don't sit in church every Sunday under a sermon. So I think there's still relevance there. Yeah. And before we get into our topic today, just got a fresh review hot off the press <laughs> that I wanted to share. Whoa. It is a four-star review. Extra, extra. Whoa. On Apple Podcasts, which we did ask for. Hey, if you're All giving right. us four and not five, write us, uh, write us a description. And uh, a listener took us yeah. up on that. Yeah. Matthew and KC sent us a four-star review. If you'll remember Matthew, uh, we read an email about him following up on the hot dog topic. And, and the, the title of his four-star review is, Can't Define a Hot Dog. We're going we're gonna to lay this at Trevor's feet mm. here. So it says, honestly, mm. it would be five stars. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, they have a great analysis and great takes on a variety of topics and consistently use a solid, orthodox, biblical framework. Thank you, Matt. Uh, they always bring it back to what the Bible actually says, and they're willing to challenge their own cultural conceptions and sacred cows in light of the gospel. However, and this is a big one, says the review, <laughs> there's a very liberal take on hot dogs. <laughs> hot dogs are clearly not a sandwich, Some, and yet awesome. Trevor continues to cling to this heresy. If you can't properly define That's a hot wild. dog, I question your discernment. Faithful in little, faithful in much. Yeah, four stars. Thank, thank you so much for that four star (laughs) review, Matt. Even though I, I, I just you know I struggle to understand. You're the one who sent us 
the image that we posted on Instagram, which if, if I believe I was reading it correctly, the category of true neutral uh, in the like sandwiches hierarchy oh, just a meme was hot dog as a sandwich. So I don't understand how I'm, I'm the liberal one. I think this tracks actually. Trevor's like, out here using memes as his basis of authority. Oh, we got to reference back to our news and sources oh, episode. Well, <laughs> uh, if you don't like memes as a source for a hot dog is a sandwich, you can also look to U.S. Legal Code and Miriam Webster. So, in your uh, a listener hot actually dog did just send face, me Phil. did just send me a um, something about a hot dog being designated not a sandwich as well. So. Hot debate, hot debate. We're actually, I'll probably throw it up on Instagram here. Um, we got some mock-ups of, uh, we're not quite at the point of launching merch. Uh, shout out to all of our supporters. We are getting there. The website will definitely come before merch, but uh, probably in our early or second round of merch. Uh, got some ideas on the hot dog topic, which seems to really be a, uh, a hot topic with, uh, with the listeners. You know. I know it doesn't feel like a sandwich, guys, but here's the thing. Reality doesn't care if you like the feeling of it or not. Okay, it just, Ben Shapiro. It is true <laughs> or it's false. Philip says this all the time on the podcast. Is something is just true or false. That's and true. it is true that a hot dog is a sandwich. It's just true. So on that note, um, as you can see in the title, we want to talk about manipulative sermon tactics uh, within Christendom, especially pretty relevant today. Yeah. So, Trevor, talk to us a little bit about kind of what the inspiration was for this particular topic and how it's, how it's relevant to Christians and non-Christians alike. Yeah, so, I mean, we were doing our research for the Good Samaritan episode, which is a mm-hmm. few episodes back now, and just seeing a lot of these things happening. And something that's been on my mind, I know, Vince, you and I had conversations about this, it seems like, a year ago. We talked about yeah, this for a while. Yeah. And so, like, just just behind the scenes, we talk about these things going on. I think another thing is it's it's just a really big podcast right now. The Mars Hill podcast uh, has kind of highlighted some of the ways that Mars Hill and some of the sermons there definitely misusing authority. Yeah, being used to kind of kind of de- I don't know, like take authority away from the scripture and put it in the the men or in the institutions, mm-hmm. which exactly. is not a new phenomenon in the history of the church. No, not not even in the slightest. And so we just started thinking about like, what are some of the specific things that we could point to that somebody from a pulpit does in their sermon that takes the authority off of the Word of God and unduly puts it on themselves in a way that is just totally unnecessary to the explanation of the text and how it applies to somebody's life. And so, when we're going through this, uh, just two caveats, too, for our listeners, because it can really seem like, as we're going through this, we're saying pastors have ulterior motives, or that the people who do this are nefarious, or things like that. I mean, almost always it's like well-intentioned, right? Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and that's really not the case. Like, I think that a lot of these happen without, without actual intent. Now, I think there are cases where people do this with intent, but I think some of these behaviors are just learned. You know, a lot of... A lot Passively of, or actively, yeah. Like, we've yeah. been in church for our whole lives, and we've, we've seen this a lot. Yeah. And we come from a faith tradition and um, churches that really pride themselves on academic excellence in a way hmm. of the Sunday morning message. 
Yeah. And the rationality of it and the rigor of it and the faithfulness of it to the scriptures. And so I think this is actually potentially a blind spot for for churches like that. This is said in full appreciation of those ministries and, and the things that we've been on. And this isn't to throw any particular shade to any of the ministries who may have been in the past. Explicitly, no, not at all. Yeah, it's yeah. like, I'm not saying explicitly this was something that we just saw a major problem with and we needed to call this out. That's not really it. It's just we know that this happens. We know that this happens even in our faith tradition. And Vince, you, you mentioned relevance earlier. Mm-hmm. I think the relevance in the church, in the pews, is if you hear your pastor doing this, and I think there'll be some time at the end we can describe maybe what you do if you're the person in the pew and you hear your pastor doing this. If you're in ministry and you're listening to this, and I hope there's some folks who are, who are in ministry and, and listen, critique yourself, critique your own preaching style, and, and think about, man, what are some ways maybe I practice this and need to um, really just kind of tighten up to, to make sure I'm putting all the authority on the Word of God? And then I think if you're outside the church, how do public speakers do these similar things in mm-hmm. ways? You know, what are politicians or news anchors or anybody who are who have a platform can do similar things as authority polls. And, and you can maybe start to notice that and then take things with a grain of salt, you know, d- decide, try to figure out why. Yeah. Who, whatever type of platform of mm-hmm. folks you listen to. And I Facebook was just thinking even, gosh, another Instagram <laughs> podcasts, uh, podcast for sure. Another part of this TikTok. whole thing, kind of before we get into it, we, we talk a lot about specific positions on issues where when this issue that we're talking about, like manipulative framing of sermons and authority, like when that happens, sometimes it it kind of makes the discussions on some of the important issues that we 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 talk about here impossible. Mm. So like yeah. if you're trying to talk about, hey, what should be our praxis when it comes to ministering in the community or what should our our public and and ministerial uh, outreach look like when it comes to justice issues or various things. If the pastor, if if there's one main guy or the leaders, like if they kind of are basically like the the Protestant popes, like what they say goes, and then there's no discussion because they've said it. Yeah, and I think that's one of the consequences, just like you said, Philip, of using these tactics, whether intentionally or unintentionally, is you shut down conversation. And kind of like you said earlier, Trev, the appeal to authority. And so it's the authority is a lot less God in his word and a lot more me and my my study or or whatever tactic that they might be using. Yeah, no, that's so good. That's so good. Because as as a pastor, one of the things that you are to shepherd, right, the word pastor coming from the word to shepherd, they need to shepherd the whole person. And part of that is your critical thinking is your mind. And yeah. so if the product of their ministry is you thinking that you have to get all of your takes and interpretations and exactly. thoughts yeah. from them or else, then that is a failure of shepherding because you as an individual, yeah, you should trust your, ch- your leaders at church. Yeah, you should rely on them. Yeah, the interpretation should happen in your church community, in your faith community not just you Lone Star Ranger Christian, right? We, we've said that so many times on the podcast. We'll say yeah. it here again. Do you say Lone Star Ranger? Yeah, all of that. Lone yeah. Ranger? Lone Star <laughs> Ranger Texas Toyota Ranger. Tundra Edition. Secret Agent. <laughs> Ranger Christian with the cowboy wow. boots. If you're that, try to make a t-shirt. That's Christian Dumais' next book. Yeah, try, try making a t-shirt with title. that. 
then yeah, that, that's an issue. But, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about how leaders can basically cultivate reliance on them to be the yes and no on everything that comes to life in like Christian living and things like that. When the scriptures really would call pastors to shepherd their people into discernment, into critical thinking, into being a Berean, right? We talk about that, mm-hmm. be a Berean. For sure. You'll hear somebody say, be a Berean, and then turn around and do some of these things. So 100%. one of the first ones that I'll, that I'll point out is... Yeah, let's jump on in. One of the things that some of the churches that we all three of us have gone to really pride themselves on is not doing this first one, and that is selecting only comfortable texts. Yeah. So, you know, you're sourcing your material. You have editorial decisions as a preacher. <laughs> yeah, you don't hear of a whole lot of uh, churches where somebody creates the preaching schedule for the pastor. And it's like, here's your study assignments. Like when you're the pastor, you're like, you get to choose what happens every Sunday. Right. Yeah. And, and even if somebody else was in like a hierarchical denomination or something, like that, somebody's making the editorial decision. And that can be a part of manipulation if you're only selecting comfortable texts. And so how would you churches, define uh, comfortable text? So like, for example, if you didn't want to, um, if you didn't want to rock the boat for say on like sexual ethics, um, mm-hmm. because you were in a certain area where that wasn't popular, um, and that it just wasn't what, what you wanted to get into, maybe you just don't select those texts and maybe, maybe over time, that text selection builds up where certain issues just aren't covered, like greed or issues of justice we talk about. We think that happens. Um, And what I was just going to say was that the churches we grew up in prided themselves because they preached verse by verse that this didn't apply to them. Hmm. Yeah. And I was just going to say another, because I've gone to very similar churches, super expositional preaching churches, but I've visited a number of churches. Yeah, some friends and like, uh, middle and high school, where their churches were basically like an evangelism sermon every Sunday. Like every Sunday mm-hmm. was a come to Jesus, here's the gospel. Like that's kind of the long and the short of our church is come to faith. And like ostensibly, yeah. you're like, well, what's the? These these are good. These these are good texts. This is a good message. But like that's like I don't even know if that's the milk of the word really. Mm. <laughs> like I don't even know what that is. Interesting. Yeah, I think I think. There is a point in which the ministry of the word on Sunday morning has to address, well, what about us who are here in the community? What about us who we have, in a sense, pledged allegiance to Christ and we are showing up as like, okay, we're members of this family in this kingdom community. And so oh, we have what? believed. Now, now what? what? Now what? <laughs> we've yeah. believed and we haven't immediately ascended to heaven. So what do we do with the time we've got? Yeah. yeah. And I see a balance in that, you know, because you can't assume 100% of your congregation is Christian. And so right. you don't want to squander an opportunity to give the gospel. But it's just like you said, uh, Phil and Trev, it's like, that's, that's great. And we want to do that. And I think if we, those who are in ministry are seeking to have that balance and also seeking to have themselves grow, then they will seek to go to those uncomfortable areas or those areas of action, but still being able to tie it back to addressing those who might be in the congregation. And so that way yeah. everybody's fed. The ones who are in the church, they are they are given, you know, kind of here's what you do with your faith. Here's what you do with the with with the knowledge and the and and with the Holy Spirit and in your day-to-day lives. 
And then for those of you who hear that message to God's people, and you're not one of God's people, here's your opportunity to become one of his. Yeah, we should always be calling people to repentance. Like, pastors should always be calling people to repentance. But the, the, the whole of the implications of following Christ, like, to, is to to be holy, not just to be justified. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you got. I mean, even if you you preach a shorter okay. sermon, you've got twenty minutes. Like you can you can cover some other things. But I think here's the other interesting thing on this one on selecting comfortable text and using that to um, honestly censor topics that aren't comfortable to you mm-hmm. is that even if you preach verse by verse. And I, I mean, seriously, cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, even if you go through and exegetically do the whole thing, I mean, guys, how many sermons have you heard about greed? How many sermons have you heard about not many business owners and how they treat their workers and how they pay mm-hmm. their workers? Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard not that brushed that. against, but not ever like dived into. Yeah. But there's literally an entire section of text in James on that, right? How to be wealthy. What does it look like if you're wealthy in the world's standards? There's an entire chapter in First Timothy on that, mm-hmm. right? So it's very interesting that even in expositional, yeah, exegetical churches, we can who, where we pride ourselves on. No, we we dive into everything. We, whole counsel of God. How many times have you guys heard that? Oh we pre- we preach the whole counsel of God, <laughs> which right? is good. Which, is, Which good. is a good, it's a good aim. That's what we're talking about, right? Right. But, um, but we can't assume that just because we have a method that necessarily goes to that text, that that, that, that actually does get preached. So I think that that's one way is just, just thinking about, okay, what gets, what gets actually covered? Mm-hmm. Uh, I got another one going with uh, the exegetical churches that we've been in. How many times, Trev, have we heard from the pulpit? Maybe kind of low-key humble brags about how much time we, the pastor has labored over the text in his study, hours and hours throughout the week. How much have we heard that? Oh, dude. I, I remember as a younger guy, early college, late high school, going to conferences, and it was like, man, such and such pastor spends 40 hours a week studying for, like, he, he really gets in and studies the Word. It was like. Oh, and our guy, yeah, he doesn't have all the staff to help him do do forty, but like our main pastor, he definitely spends like twenty hours, you know, and and that would get like talked about basically as a thing, like, and even sometimes from the pulpit, like, oh man, for sure, I, I spent you know this much time like really making sure that we got this right for you this week, and or even in private conversations when I know we've talked about this uh, a little bit in the Good Samaritan episode when referring to other either you want to call them celebrity pastors or pastors of note that have large platforms when you're like x pastor has y take like okay a guy said that like why should we like what's his authority it's like well he really studies the heck out of it it's like Mm. as if that alone gives gives final authority expertise is important we talk about expertise yeah expertise is important i i do want to listen to to men open the word who spend hours laboring over it. But I, I don't I wouldn't want the framing of the hours in study as therefore I am I'm purely authoritative. Well yeah, and that's it's a logical fallacy, right? Like that's that's why we're pointing this out. It's not because this is 
oh, let's let's nitpick. I could hear somebody saying to me, well, yeah, I heard a pastor say about how long he, he studies, but well, who cares? Like, yeah, it's good to know that he studies so long. Well, the point is, is that what a sermon is for? Yeah. He's here. He has a certain amount of time to open up the Word of God and explain it to you and explain how you should respond in the world that you live in to the authority of God in His Word. And He's using it to talk about His study. And if the point of it is that you can trust Him, that should be borne out by the strength of His interpretations and and His persuasiveness in those interpretations, how He persuades you that that is the correct interpretation of the text his persuasion and his insight into how that translates into living and his personal character. Mm. Yeah. hundred percent. With his family, with his, like, that's how you trust him. Not just him getting up there and telling you I studied X hours. Right. That's the point. The point is that that whole statement serves nothing except to be an authority pull. Yes. Set him up as the authority. And that's the, that's the common theme in all of these. There's, there's no function. There's no pedagogical function for these statements, they only serve to be a authority pull in a logical fallacy kind of way. Yeah. And, and to reiterate, it's not, I, I don't think anyone who's doing that is being evil no. or trying to manipulate more than it is. Like you said, it's just a learned tactic that they, they have, they've, they've adopted. And so over time, you just get familiar with doing that. And then over time, you get familiar with saying that. And then you might even hear others talking about, oh, thank you for all the work that you've done and pouring all of those hours into your study for for giving us the word this Sunday or whatever. And so, you know, you hear that. And we talked about it in in earlier episodes uh, when season two got started of just like there's no there's no protection just because you're a pastor of not uh, succumbing to certain areas of pride. Yeah. Um, And so for those who are in ministry. Who have heard other pastors or teachers say that? I think it w- it's 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 at least something to be looking out for. So that that's not a blind spot yeah. um, as you continue in ministry. The temptation, if if you're listening to this as somebody who who prepares um, sermons and things like that, the temptation to do this comes when there's some thorny theological interpret or interpretative issue in the oh, text. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so like you did, you spent a ton of time studying it. And so it's kind of natural to just be like, Oh man, I spent, some, but like think about, so, so the way to avoid it though, is to think about, okay, but what do my, yeah, you spent a lot of time studying it. So what's the fruit? Like what do the people need to know that came out of all that time of study ultimately? And yeah, it, it's not that it's wrong to ever talk about your study or the time you spend or things like that outside the sermon and especially, but like, especially for the sermon time, it's a, it's a sacred time that you have to yeah, and, and accomplish to be, a goal. And this doesn't help you accomplish that goal. Right. Like, yeah. That's not really to be it. cliche, but I re- like, I, I think it very much applies. Like if that is your, your impulse, that, that's a check your heart moment. Like mm-hmm. is like what beyond maybe unexamined pride or trying to just lift yourself up as a, like, what is behind that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a legitimate case to communicate like your experience in life to someone, Hundred percent. you know? So, so I want to be careful there, but like, just, yeah, as you're listening to those things, like, especially if it's frequent, if, if congregation member, like if you hear that kind of stuff frequently, like you can study a long time on something and be wrong. (laughs) 
<laughs> be hecka wrong. Yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. So just yeah. just you know keep that in mind. What else we got? Another one, and man, Vince, you know this is <laughs> a personal hobby horse of mine that that kills me. But so here's the deal: the Bible wasn't written in English, right? <gasps> <laughs> true story <laughs> um the bible was written in greek in the new testament hebrew mainly in the old testament and some of the exilic texts are um in aramaic right so it is so tempting and this this goes actually to a broader thing about how seminaries educate seminarians and and pastors but how many times have you heard a pastor be like well, the Greek, the original word for this, the Greek word is hupotasso, and uh, that means et cetera, et cetera. And it's like... That's the very other side of the road that they went on when they went away from the man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the, the Greek word here, yeah. Or, or the other one, um, the, the word here for power is dunamis, like dynamite. It's the dynamite of God. And there's... <laughs> There's a whole set of exegetical fallacies that come on here, but my my bigger question is is this: Who cares? Mm. Who cares that it's that word in the text? Who's checking you? Who in your congregation has their Greek Bible open and is like, "Oh man, that's yeah, I know all the other places where John used this word, and that's super insightful to me." Or like, "Oh yeah, I know the semantic domain of hupotasso and like its use in the Pauline letters, like." I totally get that. No one is getting anything of any teaching value out of you mentioning a word in Greek. Hmm. Hot take. Is there any, like, can you guys think of anything like that, that is positively gained by a member of the congregation? Not, obviously there are things to be gleaned and learned from the original language, but the use of the original language itself is not one of them. The whole reason the Bible was translated was because your people can't read Greek. So they don't right. get anything. Like it's I think the exact same thing applies to what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians about people speaking in an unknown foreign language, an unknown foreign tongue. Mm-hmm. Like it's a clanging God. It's like, okay, uh, whatever that whatever you say that is, Pastor, like I guess that is what it is. Hmm. That's interesting. I because as a as a person who when when I first went to the church that we all went to in in uh, Kansas City, I, w- I would say that was probably the first time I heard like Greek or Hebrew references to the to the mm. scriptures. Mm. And to me, as a person who wanted to go into seminary and learn these things. I saw it as like extremely valuable because it's like they are bringing a a depth to the text that I wouldn't have known unless they said something. And so I think for for some people they might hear that and they might see value in it because maybe the person says because of this Greek and Hebrew word it actually burrows in the the depth and the you know width of the the meaning of this particular text and and really using it as uh, almost a descriptor of how much more impactful this particular scripture is and so i could see that to to be benefit or beneficial to someone I still think, however, well, we're not saying that original languages you, don't have value. Yeah, I think, but I even still like. I think you could have, it could have been said, and you just explain the depth 
Exactly. And it would have been fine. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not saying here's a, and here's, I'm, I'm just going to briefly touch on this because this is such a uh, hot topic for me, but like the whole point of learning the language, the first thing that gets taught in seminaries a lot of times is vocab. And sometimes guys don't really get that much further than the vocab. And so for them, that's why they're translating words for you. Like, that's why they're saying, oh, this is this Greek word, because all, literally all they got was the dictionary. And if that's all you have, like, I, I have bad news. Like, anybody can replicate that with a copy of Logos or, or recordings or, or blueletterbible.com. And, but <laughs> here's how it functions. Like, so, so you actually have to know something of Greek language and syntax and how it functions and you have to do contextual studies, longitudinal contextual studies of a word, like how, how was it used in different contexts at the same time? How is it used differently throughout time? You have to do those studies. And then if you do those studies, and that's just word studies, I mean, that, that has nothing to do with like the actual syntax of the language and how different Greek words that aren't impressive, like chi and day, uh, <laughs> will connect to different phrases in different ways to actually bring out the meaning. But here's the thing, after you've done all that study, what you shouldn't come away with is a bunch of Greek words to tell your congregation. What you should come away with is an interpretation of the text that is backed by the study. And the thing is, you can show them, you should be able to show them it in their translation. Or mm -hmm. you can point out maybe where a different translation did it better if this particular translation didn't, didn't get it right. And that's fine. And you can say, hey, this is, this is how it works in the original. Because of the way that this sentence was ordered, there is a real emphasis on, you know, the word love here. You know what I mean? Like, you can explain all that meaning. I've been super edified, particularly in the Old Testament, in, um, in, the, in the poetic books, um, particularly like the Psalms and Proverbs, like in the Hebrew classes, in, in the deep sin. It wasn't just trying to impress you with vocab and again not not impugning motives like a lot of people just kind of learn and replicate without thinking but i mean we had a couple of wonderful hebrew professors that knew the language well and like that mm -hmm. that was very helpful for me but i also don't yeah <laughs> don't remember it a whole lot but right. it was it, it was the syntax it was the whole package not just like he almost like here's Here's the Gnostic meaning behind these words. Yes. Here's the secret Bible behind yeah. your Bible that and I you know, know about. Yes. I've, and I, I'll, I'll, now that you bring that up, I remember, I, I won't drop any names, but I actually can see how that can be manipulative with intention because I did see mm. a guy who was kind of in the, the prosperity gospel movement and all of that, and he was talking about uh, metanoia. Mm -hmm. And nobody knew what that meant, yeah. right? And so it's whatever he tells you. Exactly. exactly. He, 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 he actually gave like the proper definition of the word, sure. but then as it applied to how he was using it, it was completely out of context for the Greek word or the English. Yeah. It was just, it was, it was manipulative with intention of saying, Hey guys, look how smart I am. And I yeah. know Greek and I just lied to you. And it's mm. like, and nobody's any wiser because right. of it, or, or even worse, they are deceived and Im impressed by that deception because they've been lied to, but they think, oh, I've been given a deeper truth. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's even uh, another caution of like, if it's not necessary, we probably shouldn't use it. 
And I was being a little flippant. Uh, I apologize if I was being too flippant earlier when I just kind of threw out the Gnosticism there. But like, yeah, what what pastors should take great pains not to do, what can happen unintentionally, is you can water down your congregants confidence in their copy of yes, the bible yes because exactly. it's like, well the pastor knows greek and hebrew and he's he's spouting off all these words and he's telling us oh this is what this word really means i thought this mm. word meant love and he's like no here's this like diatribe about all the different loves and this love means it. so like man i I, I don't really know if i can understand truth by reading my bible right right you communicate to the congregation mm-hmm. that what is necessary for interpretation is a knowledge that they don't have access to. Mm. That is mm. literally it. That's it, bro. Y'all hit it on the head. And that's why, I, that's why it's, I'm, it's such a passionate topic for me because you can actually use, if, you, if you're really well-versed in the Greek and Hebrew, and, and some of the guys who are the best at it do this, and I hear it and I love it, because you can really tell that you can tell when somebody's done their homework and they're doing a good job and and actually their entire sermon uses their knowledge of the original languages to instill a bedrock confidence in the congregation that actually what they're seeing in their English translation is enough mm. and they can and you can true. actually teach them how to read it in such a way that they glean a lot of the important connections and things from their translated text as well. I'm not saying that there's not unique value to Greek and Hebrew. There is. Uh, For sure. And, and, and I'm, you, if you ask me, you know, what somebody should learn, uh, hey, I'm going into ministry, I'm going to tell you, go to a seminary that, that will teach you properly Greek and Hebrew, because I think a lot of this comes out of seminaries not teaching that, and then people just come away with, oh, well, I, I learned the dictionary, so... Um, let me just impress people with how I can give dictionary definitions of of words in their Bible, and and it happens that way. I mean, yeah. your your example sounded kind of what happens a lot. Extreme, but yeah, I remember talking with people who were going to churches that like <laughs> were totally just playing games with the Word of God, and oh yeah, my pastor talks about like the original languages and and stuff all the time. Like he really is doing his studying. Like what because. And, and honestly, it was. It was because he mentioned Greek words or Hebrew words. Hmm. And, and yeah, the whole point, the whole point, if you really think about it, of mentioning a Greek word to a congregation that doesn't know Greek is saying, trust me, because I know something you don't. I know more than you, yeah. 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 And, and, and that should never that. be the, yeah. the, the message. The message should be, you, you can be a Berean, you can see it, it's right there in your text. And remember that a lot of the early Christians were using a scripture in translation. It's called the Septuagint. Yep. Right? So, so in the Bible, the, the believers who were the early Christians in the, in the New Testament were using a text in translation. So there's nothing wrong with using a text in translation. So, and I just wanted to say, once again, just to remind folks, I know brothers who do this, and they don't have a bit of animosity in their heart on this. Oh, no, so, yeah, definitely. Right. So, like, I, I just say, like, yeah, if it's something that you're just doing out of habit, maybe think about, like, just, yeah, what's the pedagogical value here? Right. I know, you want uh, to define that real quickly there, Trev, for the audience? Pedagogical? Oh, what's, what's the teaching value? Like, what's, yeah. what's the value of, uh, for the person who's trying to learn from your sermon? 
How does it Going teach? Doc Z on us there. Yeah, sorry, man. For everyone who knew what pedagogical meant, drop you us one point. buck in Cash App. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Yo, we get a point. <laughs> no, uh, and I, I just want to add to this list. Um, I know one thing that we talked about was talks of exclusivity of the church's method. And basically what we mean there is it's kind of built around this framework of we teach this particular thing about a particular subject, and we teach it in a way that other churches don't. We teach it in a way that or we don't do it as well. Don't do it as well. We have an understanding of a particular topic that other churches or institutions don't. And so it creates this area where you you start to feel and believe that you can only get truth at your church. Or your network of churches. Or your network of churches, exactly. And a personal story for that is the church I grew up in. It was, it was this, uh, man, I don't even know how to even go about it, it, describing it, but it, it absolutely created this, almost this fear that if you sought truth on this topic or these set of topics elsewhere, you have a 98 to 99% chance of being deceived. Mm. And so you only can get it from this congregation, from these people, how we interpret it from this pulpit. And And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because like, oh, there's Vince. He left, you know, now look, he thinks different than everybody. And like, and he's is he still saved? Right. Right. <laughs> I'm laughing because that conversation has happened. I've uh, had some of those conversations. Yeah. yeah. Well, and so I'll, on a personal anecdote on this one too, like I grew up in a wonderful church. Amen. I know a lot of the people Same. who are at or have been at the church that I grew up in. Absolutely zero percent shade. I'm so happy I grew up in the church I grew up in. They love Jesus and they love their people. Extremely high. I had an extremely high estimation of God's word. I I loved God's word. I loved God's people. Yes. I and I feel like they did a really wonderful job of like preaching holiness without being terribly legalistic either. Like I think it was a wonderful church, but just kind of passively, not because anybody said anything explicitly it wasn't a like this is clearly what we think about the other churches in the area but i absolutely and some of this maybe was on my part Mm. but the culture of the church i grew up in was as such to where i when i thought about the other churches in our area in particularly and in the world like (laughs) it's kind of like I'm sure that, like, definitely, the, the, the global body of Christ does not reside in this one local assembly. But, like, we probably have the best uh, understanding on the sure. truth in all the areas. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, it'd be hard, you'd be hard-pressed to find any other church that is as faithful, as biblical, as, as on top of their preaching and their XYZ mm. down the line as us, because we're pretty dope. Yeah, and even the way we frame like, oh yeah, you know, there's good Christians down there. It's just, you know, there here's there all might the be things some maturity. Yeah, it might just be some maturity in their church, you know, that they're you know, they don't do this this way or that you know, and it, and it might not even be specific. It, it might just be this general sense of like, really, 
like ultimately you go to another church like it's just not going to be as you're not going to be as strong as a christian you know it's a downgrade <laughs> yeah and again i don't think any of the elders preach that explicitly at all in any way but i mean that's that's definitely the uh the vibe and honestly, I because I, I, I got that kind of rhetoric growing up that, you know, not we're not the only true church. Like that was even said explicitly. We're not the only church that has the truth of God. But then the critique of every other church was they don't have a right. They don't have a right. They don't have a right. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, do, do, do you believe that? Do you, you said it, but do you actually believe that? Because it's like mm. every, nobody else actually even interactions with other churches. I grew up where I had uh, family members in church leadership. So I would see what's happening mm. on Sunday mornings and then hear all the conversations Sunday afternoon through Saturday. And it was like, I, I, I think that that the conversation might have been true as maybe a principle to some degree. But mm. I mean, you had to agree with everything, mm. even eschatological points, in order for them to be like a church that is the same as us, who has the truth like we do. Wow. This is something that it, it doesn't have to be super extreme, because I think it just, it's in the culture of a lot of churches where, yeah, it's kind of like, in here is safe, and out there is dangerous. I've been listening to the Fall of Mars Hill podcast, I know that we've talked about that on the show a few times. Let's do an episode on the way home from work today. And just thinking about, they were talking about the culture of fear that yeah. is played alongside a culture of empowerment, like alongside mm-hmm. a culture of, yeah, you can do it. But it's like everyone out, like the world is a dangerous place. The churches are out here whiling and trying to deceive or are watered down or aren't living it right. And that's why we're in this state. But here in this body, in this church, we're getting it right. We're doing what we need to do. And so if you stick with us, and the subtle message is if you stick with this leadership team and the way this church is led, then you'll be a strong Christian and we'll keep you safe from that wild world out there. Mm. Yeah. What do you guys think? I've, well, I've been just kind of looking at our notes, thinking about this topic. I, I think that I'm, again, I'm sure probably unintentionally, in many cases, I'm sure I am certain that also in, in a number of cases this is intentional, the, the fear-mongering to kind of consolidate leadership and power and things like that. But uh, what do you guys think of just kind of the relationship between the, the culture war that bleeds in in so many ways, how that relates to mm. the, uh, the, the we are the best church kind of mentality? And this was definitely said more explicitly, like ecumenism was very downplayed mm-hmm. and, and poo-pooed. This pastor, he was on a conference with some Catholics. And sometimes it was explicitly said, sometimes it was just kind of uh, inferred uh, or like a quote-unquote liberal pastor. And some of them maybe weren't great pastors who didn't have great stance on things, but like this person shared a stage at some point with a person who doesn't share our our sexual ethic or our... Or even something as simple, Philip, as like ministry methodology, right? If you mm-hmm. were associated with Rick Warren or the, you know, purpose-driven life, purpose-driven, it's like... If you, you like were, that book. Not even suspect. if you like that book. Like if you just happen to be at a conference that he's at too, or if you invited him to your conference, or if you met with him or talked like... 
if if you had an association with the man, it was just, well, what are you doing? And, you know, that's that's some black marks on your record. Yeah, mm. and, and so there's ways that this gets communicated. But I was thinking too, just even and Sunday morning, just the the subtle messages of you know this is how we do things here at our family, and this is how you know we we do church and we approach the text and. You know, not a lot of folks do this out there. Like, you're not going to get this everywhere. The not a lot of folks, yeah. The not a lot yeah. of other churches, and yeah. And I, this is when I was shocked when I when I started looking um, in in 2020. I was I was looking around at some churches, and I, I just looked up nine marks. And and the nine marks website is very eye opening in a lot of ways because it's churches that have signed on to not just we preach expositionally, but a host of things around the way they lead, the way they disciple, the way they have elders, the the way they approach the word of God. And if you search their their churches, there is a host of them in a lot of cities and a lot of places all over America. It doesn't mean that every single one of them is faithful. It doesn't mean that every single one of them even does all the things that they signed up that say that they did originally. Mm-hmm. But it's by no means is your church even if it does all those things, like these are very specific things and there are good churches that don't meet those things and don't sign on to those things. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's tons of them from lots of denominations. Yeah. So when, when your church is constantly talking about the exclusivity there, it, it really kind of lets you think like, Oh, well, like, we're alone out here. I can't, I can't go to X, Y, Z, you know, there's nowhere to go. And, and listen, church search is hard. Um, good night. we, right? We, we we feel you if you are in the position of looking for yeah, a church that is 100%. not hundred percent and and I'm by by not no fun. means am I saying that good preaching is an epidemic across the land that people are just being <laughs> faithful to the word of God left and sure. right. Listen, don't hear me saying that. But and it and it's, it's like you're not the only one in your city. Like it just this whole thing and there's mindsets too. Like don't even get me started on missions letters and stuff where it's like. How come I know like three missionaries that are like pretending like they're the only missionaries in in a European city? You know, it's like, you know what I mean? You're not the only mission there. How are you guys linking up? What like? How about the churches that have been there since the gospel's been there for a century or plus? Like, and that's what I said about ecumenism. Don't don't hear me say that anybody who says they're on team Jesus is great, and you should fully partner with all of those people and fully co-sign all the things that they do. That is not what I'm saying, but to have a base level of suspicion and your like your walls up immediately when somebody says like I love Jesus, I I esteem the word, I follow Christ, and they're not exactly from your camp in all the ways. And once again, not a good. You get up on um, Sunday morning, you open the Bible. Your job is to explain to the people in front of you, this is what. God says to these people in this text at this time and what that means for you right now in your life. How yep. how does fear-mongering about how you're the only ones have anything to do with it? Like Peter was was writing to churches where yeah, they were the only ones and they were getting oppressed. You know what he does? <laughs> he ministers to them about how to deal with being a people in exile and how to suffer well for Christ. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the message that people need to hear. Not right. circle the wagons, fear mongering. So, so we need to really take our cues from the Word of God and go back to the Word of God instead of trying to 
even if it's just something that we learned passively, we just have to be very circumspect about this, t- like the the messaging, because it's a very important thing and an important responsibility that leaders have been given to, yeah. to and, open the word of God. And the hope is that, though, especially those who are in leadership, that this would this would help to bring light to blind spots. So that way, it's just calling it out to say, "Hey, be on the lookout for this," because we want you to be a faithful minister of God's word and um, lead a congregation that's healthy. We're uh, we're kind of getting through the episode time wise here, but I think a good one, a good button at the end of this that can kind of, in some ways, tie all these things together. I think a common a common factor where you see a lot of these things that we've already talked about. If you see these in churches and pulpits, you will probably also find that the the vast majority of of sermons from those pulpits are given by one person. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. that a person kind of, I guess, pulpit hogs <laughs> a little bit when when you say, hey, e- even in churches that have six, seven, eight, nine elders which a lot of those churches are like, elders are pastors, pastors are bishops, and elders, like, we're all the same, we all have the same thing. Like, there's pretty much one person teaching yeah. nearly every week. And when, <laughs> Trevor, how many times have we been in a church that has had that? Um, we've only been members of two or three churches, but the main guy isn't there. What's the attendance like on those weeks? Oh, man. Yeah. So many churches. It's and, and what happens is it becomes a cult of personality where it's like, we're not even really just following Christ together. We're, we're here to watch this performance by this dude because he's a good performer on stage. You know, he's a good speaker. And Oof, yeah, the Mar- Mars Hill podcast really, really kind of illuminates the dangers that, uh, that that can lead I mean, to. the fact that the, Mark Driscoll, like when he resigned, that the elders basically Weeks. took a few hours together to figure out what they were going to do because they weren't expecting it, and then realized, oh, we just don't exist. Like we, we just can't exist down. as a church anymore. I mean, once you enter Thousands into their people, once you enter into their world and understand the way things were built and and get into their shoes, you can understand why that was a hard costly and the right decision at that time but But that's a shameful and heartbreaking reality that literally and again not that not just to dunk on mars hill but when you build your your ministry on a single man dude that's that is a foundation of the sandiest sand (laughs) like that is that is not sound it's and and here's the thing, like this doesn't even get to structure. Like we're not talking necessarily plurality of elders and versus, you know, a, a, a bishop versus hierarchy. We're not even talking about that. We're just talking about gifts of the Holy Spirit. You're not the only person. Like unless you're in a very small congregation, but even unless then, you're like yeah in a house church of like ten, yeah, <laughs> it's it's just highly unlikely that you're the only guy in your church who can open the Word of God and bring helpful explanation to how, for life out of it. Yeah. And so implicitly messaging that you're the only one with, with skill to teach in your body, and so people have to listen to you, it's, there's, there's just some, some power dynamics that that creates that I think are, A, unbiblical, and, and B, just unhealthy. Yeah. Super practically unhelpful. You're not doing your congregation. Or 
let's say that you don't have all the besetting problems that Mark Driscoll has. Hopefully, if you're a pastor, you don't right. <laughs> have some of those right. immaturities and and things that he had. But like, you're not as a a fallen, sinful human. You're not setting yourself up for victory right. by being the the only person. Yeah. yeah, if you want a healthy church, one that just seeks to honor God and, and grow as he would have it to grow, I don't see a, a, a metric where you, you go it alone. You have to have people holding you accountable. You have to have people who are also opening up the word with you, who are praying with you, who are, are also responsible for feeding God's sheep in that sense. And so you just, you, you I, I 100% agree. I think my, grow, my growing up, multiple people would actually like do sermons in one service. Mm. Um, so it would be like 10 AM and then 1 AM and then maybe three, um, black church was very long. That's, that's just the thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, but instead of like people not showing up, it was a family church. Um, so people would just stop paying attention if they, if there was a particular person they didn't like, Mm. No, I legit, like if the pastor went on vacation, or was out at some of the churches we went to yeah. legit maybe like up to like 30 plus percent of the church not there yeah Jeez. and i want to say too like i want to separate out because there is like planned favorites right you know for was it first or second corinthians i always get them mixed up um talks about this right but also mm. but I'm, what, what i'm saying too is there is an implicit messaging that comes from the leadership of a church if they consistently only put one guy in the pulpit, you know, mm-hmm. like at least this is the guy you need to listen to. This is the guy that you need yeah. to mirror. Even if people play with. favorites, at least in it's like in a church. And I, and I know we've talked about that, you know, your, your upbringing there, Vince, and that there's a lot of things that were, were, you know, wanting as far as, you know, biblical methodology in some ways, but mm-hmm. like they're at least by putting multiple people up that part, they're getting like, they're not messaging that, Oh, at least in that specific practice, they're not messaging that this is the only person you can listen to. I know right. there might have been other ways that that can be done. But sure. from here, what I would love to do really quick, lightning round on a couple other things we are honorable mentions here that um, I just want to just it, mention really quick. Round. And then what do you do if you're sitting in the congregation? You're like, man, I want to help my pastor out. How do you do that? Well, so I just want to lightning round those things really quick. So on the lightning round, one, even in exegetical sermons, excessive cross-referencing. If you're not explaining the text that you're opening up, like just be wary of somebody who has to go to like 15 different passages to make the point of the passage he's in. Yeah, the whole point of an expositional sermon is that you talk about, you unpack that one. If you're constantly cross-referencing, then you're like, well, all of those texts have context, and yeah. you're not doing 15 sermons in yeah. one sermon. And right. so the question becomes, why did you feel like you needed to go to all of those different contexts to explain this text? And are you importing meanings? And this kind of gets to the second one in the, in the lightning round, recontextualizing the text. So choosing yeah. the text in such a way or framing the text in such a way to answer questions that it wasn't intended to answer. Oh yeah, We specifically addressed this in the Good Samaritan episode earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Good Samaritan is... In the text, it's framed to answer the question, who is my neighbor? But then it can get recontextualized as a answering the question, how does somebody get saved? And when they do that, they change the fundamental meaning of the text, right? So you have to set up the context of the biblical passage that you're preaching from faithfully to how that writer sets it up. 
And mm-hmm. if you change the question or if you change the frame, you can you can manipulate and and the reason and why are you doing that? A third one is depending on how you decide to to preach the sermon or chunk the text, you can pre you can avoid a hard section of text by grouping it in with other verses and then sure. just not spending time on it. So maybe you yep. just mention it in passing. Uh, so like maybe if you didn't want to talk about greed and you were at that text that you had to talk about greed, instead of talking about that, you just take a big, big chunk of text and then you have three like very high level points on it. And that way yeah, you don't you have, like have to spend time on it. You a sentence or two to it and then you move on. You're like, I exposited right. it. Yep. I exposited it. That's a sentence. Exactly. Um, I think we didn't get a chance too to talk about belligerence. So this is a fourth one, belligerence towards commentators. Just... You know, you mentioned the commentaries that you read, but only to say how dumb all the commentaries were and how they went <laughs> how they way off topic. And yeah, yeah. You've, you've got it figured out. Like, why do people need to know that? Uh, ultimately, just so that they can trust you and not the stuff that they read. Right. And then finally, I mean, we talked about Greek and Hebrew, but this also happens with obscure history references. I mean, history is great. Setting the scene for somebody can really help illustrate and make a passage come alive. Mm-hmm. But when you do it in a way that doesn't do that, that's just like, well, I read, you're basically just showing off like, oh, I have access to this, these historical sources that I'm talk super about. super smart, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the road to Jericho. Like, let me tell you all of these things about the history of that road and who wrote in the, you know, second century AD and, you know, the third century BC and, and how, how it tracked over. Nobody cares. There was robbers on it. We get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and I think there are certain contexts like outside of a sermon context. Sure. Then there That's are super areas interesting. where this like, exists and it's so um, fun oh, and it's great to get into. Group. Oh, yeah, awesome. yeah. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But, I nerd out over the Bible. I love that stuff. Heck yeah. But, but my point once again is what, sermon how does it tactics. function in a message, right? What mm-hmm. is the function of the words that is coming out of the public speaker's mouth? Right. And if it's not to teach you the word of God, what it means in its context, and how to live your life in more in love of God and love of neighbor, then you should question it. Word. 100%. So how do you do that well? Like you're sitting on the pew, and you hear this, like, should, should, should the person's response be, you know, they hear this, what, you know, maybe somebody listens right when this drops at three o'clock uh, central on a, on a Sunday, right? Ooh, they, subscribe to your favorite podcatcher. Hey. And then they roll into, you know, church Sunday evening. And if their church is one of the few that still does Sunday evening churches, um, shout out to you guys. Uh, post to us on Twitter if that's y'all. But they roll in and they hear their pastor do this. So, so what? They like go up after the sermon and just like, hey, man, I heard on a podcast you don't preach good. You're manipulating us. <laughs> <laughs> Well, obviously, um, you probably could guess there's there's obviously grace because we've said it at the front, the middle, and now at the end of this of this particular episode that most of the time it's not intentional. They're not doing it to try to mislead you. So I think uh, first, just making sure that your heart is in a position of um, of of grace towards your 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 uh, pastor or elder. Um, is is a good starting point because it leads you to not get belligerent against them mm-hmm. and uh, defiant and like, yeah, you need to get it right, you get it better. Or I'm leaving. You know, it's it it, it kind of snuffs all of that out, so that way you can, if you do go, you go in a, in a heart of grace. 
Yeah. I, I think so much of this also like highlights how the the sermon in Sunday morning really gets abused as like this fancy marketing product. Um, yeah, both, that's a whole nother uh, it's a episode, whole another yeah. episode. But my thing is, if your ministry to your pastor is is like literally summed up by you tell him attaboy after a sermon or like I listen to his give, performance and I, and I yeah, clap it. And it, yeah, or you give comments on it. Like if that's the sum total of your interaction with your pastor saying like, then it's really not your place um, to uh, honestly to to maybe give this feedback. Like you need to establish that relationship. You need to mm-hmm. show care. You need to be a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ to this this person who's a, a member of that body with you and show some care before. Because here's the thing, like pastors hear tons of junk about their sermons all the time. And if you really want this to minister, they really do. Yeah. If you mm-hmm. really want this to minister, like it has to come from somebody who has that, that place of trust. And so if it's a real concern of, for you and you don't have that, like, is there somebody who is that in their life that you can talk about these things with? Maybe you can share this episode with, um, things like that. Like find ways that maybe you can come alongside or maybe start building that relationship. Maybe this is a, a chance for you to examine, Hey, how am I? relating to these people who serve me and, and care for me. Um, but genuinely, I know it's always the easy thing to say, but genuinely, like, are, are you praying for your pastors? Like, mm. they, yeah. they go through a lot in, and I know not, not in all churches, some churches it's kind of crazy the opposite way, but many of them are, are underpaid and overworked. Yes. Are, mm-hmm. You don't just want to be lobbing criticisms at them. Like, do you? Do you care for your pastor? Past being a pastor, I've never been a uh, a full time head pastor, or anything like that. I feel like that would be a wild, wild role. But like I've I've done shepherding and leadership roles, and even in my very minor ones, like it's an isolating and lonely thing. Imagine being the top person who the whole congregation brings their their complaints and their hardships yeah. and all these things to, and and you're honestly, frankly, usually not paid enough, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're literally working 24 seven, whether it's, it's studying or fielding calls or counseling or doing other church responsibilities that maybe you're not uh, qualified or yeah. gifted to that other yeah. people should be volunteering like a, for. Like being a moving service for folks. I mean, it just gets wild yeah. out there in pastor land. Pastors, yeah. it, it's a, a sacred thing. And, and many, many do not get into it for the glory. So I would say genuinely pray for and 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 work on caring for your pastors. Don't don't yeah. just have like the default criticism yeah. mindset. That's what makes us hard. Like we want to highlight these things in this episode because we know that there are people who are under ministries that are using these authority pulls to shut down critical thinking and get people mm-hmm. to be followers of a person rather than followers of the man Christ Jesus. And that's really our heart. For folks is that that they would follow Christ in a Amen. community that is really supportive of them of them doing that and is being healthy for their soul and their mind. But at the same time, I don't want to see this become a weapon in people's hands to like beat over the head somebody who gotcha. is you, you wor- Greek and yeah, it. yeah right. working gotcha. so hard for their fo- for their congregation. So like, just know if if you're listening to this and you have the temptation to do that, just check yourself. Check your heart. Yeah, that's not the point. That is really not it. And like, if you have serious concerns 
about these things, bring it to somebody close, bring it to an elder that's close to you, uh, uh, somebody in ministry close to you, just, you know, and go humbly, just be like, Hey, let me understand. Like I heard these things and I, I do see this, this opportunity here. Like maybe they don't know. And, and they, you know, they do want to grow. There is, there is opportunity there, but yeah, just, just be thoughtful about how that comes across, where that, where that comes up. And yeah, if you're beating up your pastor over this, we didn't send you. <laughs> right. Excellent. I hope that really is helpful for some folks. Cause I, you know, I think some hearts will be encouraged by this. Agreed. So, uh, substance shout outs time here, fellas. Let's do it. What do we got? I'll hit you with a shout out. Um, kick it off. I, I kind of mentioned this earlier and, and I think I, I wanted to keep my shout out for this episode apropos. And so if you are a Bible nerd out there or a ministry or sermon nerd, this resource is just invaluable um, for you. And it is D.A. Carson's Exegetical Fallacies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it's is, really good book. it is a really good book. There are parts of it that are, that are technical, but there are parts of it that aren't. It's a very short book, very digestible. And he, it's the thing that makes it worth its weight in gold is that there are sermon illustrations and tactics and things that you, I guarantee you, if you've been in the church for a year or more, you have heard these things in sermons. And he just and if points you're in the out, position of giving them, you've yeah. done them. I remember yep. reading that in seminary going, ouch, yeah, ouch, ooh, ouch, ouch, ouch. I've said that. <laughs> I repeated that. And um, yeah, he, he, he just, good. yeah, it's, it's refining. Good. And so it's just mm-hmm. stuff like this where, you know, is it, is it like the super evilest thing in the world? No, but, but is it actual faithful explanation of the word of God? Actually, no. And so that's, he just calls it out. Exegetical it's a tool so to good. improve. Yeah. That's a good one. So mm-hmm. good. Vince, what you got? Um, so, uh, continuing my Ooh. segment of bless the playlist. Oh. Um, I am shouting out Danny Baylor, D-A-N-N-I Baylor. Um, she is a singer-songwriter from Washington, D.C. Um, she has done work, I believe, with like Ty Tribbett and and a lot of like pretty large guys in the the gospel world. Um, and she just released a track almost at the time of this recording less than a month ago. Um, and it, it's called previews and she's just a great, uh, she, she, she can sing, she can write, she's a vocal producer. Uh, she's a musician. She, and she put together this song, um, that's just vocally done so well. She sounds great. And it, it's a really, really good song. Just talking about the dynamics of uh, wanting to see previews before the, the particular ending of a relationship. She talks about um, regular things, people things, human things, mm. even though she is a believer. Um, and so she just makes fantastic music. So um, her, her Instagram page is, uh, always Danny music, I believe, mm-hmm. um, or always Danny Baylor music. One of the two. That's no, always Danny um, music. Always Danny music. Yeah. She, she just does, I mean, great stuff. Even the samples that she does that she kind of shows on her Instagram page, um, just gets you hype. And it's like, man, I can't wait for the, for the full release of that track. So she doesn't have any, uh, albums <clears throat> out or, uh, EPs or anything like that, but she did just release the, the single, uh, previews. So 
if you have time, go check her out. I'll be checking that out after we wrap. Get on here. the ground level of that one, man. Nice getting me artists that I have never heard of before. I got excited for a second. I was like, "Do I know this one?" Oh. I'm like, "Why?" Just of course, you Vince's gonna get you on the ground level, y'all. <laughs> one of these days, I'll get a familiar one. Um, yeah, definitely not cool. No, one of these days, one of your shoutouts is gonna be famous. Is what's gonna happen? Like super, like one of them's gonna make it super big, and you're gonna be like, "I liked them before they were cool." <laughs> Um, my, my shout out this week, um, uh, my, my reading has dropped off significantly since, uh, our newest baby boy has arrived, but, uh, for fun, I have been reading, uh, the novel Dune, the 1965 oh, right. science nice. fiction classic Dune. Um, I've been very excited for the movie coming out in mm-hmm. October and I've, I've had this problem a number of times where a movie came out of a book I wanted to read and then I waited way too long to read it and I would finish the movie I would finish the book right before I went to the movie and it doesn't matter how good the movie was I was like nah it was, that was okay that was a little whack that wasn't good so trying to finish this book with enough time before the end of October when the movie comes out so I can enjoy them both and it is it is an absolute delight I'll say if anybody's interested in like I always thought of this because it's I think rightly so, going through it, like, very highly lauded. It won the very first Nebula Award ever. Um, It's an incredible book, but it's super accessible. Hmm. I was expecting it, like, a lot of people call it, like, the Lord of the Rings of sci-fi. But, like, when I hear that, I was expecting it to be very obtuse and world-buildy to a point of, like, not being able to jump in. And, like, you get through the first ten pages, you're in. It's, It's a wonderful, it's super entertaining. Short chapters, See, which is also I great. Experienced the Lord of the Rings too. Yeah, I, that's yeah. on my list to read one day. Uh, <laughs> I read. I started Fellowship in the sixth or seventh grade, and I I did not get there. Hasn't been back since, guys. That was like nope. a decade or a decade <laughs> and a half ago. A decade. That was many, many, many years. That was that was a long time ago. Uh, but yeah, Dune, Frank Herbert. It's a classic for a reason. I'm glad I read it. I'm kind of kicking myself that it took me so long. Nice, Sweet, dude. man. What a fun. I love having this podcast. I love having the listeners. Thanks yeah. for joining us, guys. I uh, wanted to give you guys a quick update. I just got an alert the other day. We are, so our, our 21 and 21 is still going. We are only we at, at? Uh, we're at six now currently, but right. because yes. the 21 and 21 was $5 or more, I, I don't mind at all. We're, we're super independent. We're, a lot of the listeners are engaging with us on social media. I feel like I can be honest, like, Ultimately, the, it was 20, but 21 and 21 sounded better. We were thinking $25 a month. That's 100 bucks a month. That'll get us like some good like Ooh. cushion for the website, the hosting and all that. We're already at 50 bucks we're a month. Halfway so, like, there. We're halfway, halfway to there. the monetary goal. We're not at 21. We're only at six. But enough of you guys are signing up at high rates that it's it's do, going really well do the do the ten dollar a month supporters do they do they count as double two do we get to do that or i don't know sign up every everybody who can <laughs> sign up <laughs> if you're able to that's dope we love it we love every every single one of you or like vince mentioned earlier cash app is like the digital tip jar we're at dollar sign the substance pod get a little extra here there you want to throw you really like an episode you want to throw us five or ten bucks that's awesome or if you want to throw us a couple bucks here and there um it's it's great we appreciate everybody that does it website is coming soon 
and uh, merch will come eventually. Yeah, dude, I can't wait yeah. to announce a launch date for this website. I, I'm really stoked to. It's legitimately actually that. soon, yeah. especially. Yeah, this probably won't come out for a couple weeks. Can we after say this now? Like, anyway. we actually own the domain now. Like yeah. we, because, we can say that. Like, like we can celebrate well, that we, right with the listeners. Can... Okay, sure. Like y'all helped us do that. Like the yeah, the 21 true. and 21 campaign, like the supporters. Like, and some of you listeners that I've been corresponding with, I will be getting with at some point. We're going to have some uh, listener original generated content on the yeah. website too. Like we have, we have a website, we have progress on that. Like we've, we've purchased the domain and like, that's literally because of you guys. Like it would not, this is something that would not exist. If it wasn't for y'all. So we thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. Very much. So one thing I really enjoy is our giveaways. We have had a lot of fantastic giveaways. Um, We did Jamar Tisby's books. We've even done an international one with Streams in the Wasteland from uh, Josh Thiessen. Mm. And uh, giveaways are just an amazing opportunity for you guys to get valuable products um, for free. Um, now, obviously, there's chance that goes with that, but it's a great opportunity to participate. But the best way and really the only way to do that is on our socials. Um, so you have to be following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter um, at The Substance Pod in order to interact on those um, and to, to give yourself a chance to win any of the products that we are able to put on giveaway. Um, so make sure you're following us on those platforms. Also engage with us in the comments, create posts and tag us in it, and just engage on social media. I don't know who's won it yet, but whoever wins that uh, Joss Thiessen book is going to have a really stinking nice new edition. Yeah, 100%. All right. So, yeah, heavy, heavy topic today. I mean, this is, this is a heady one, and, and I think uh, we would love to hear more about your experience. Maybe there's things that you found to be uh, manipulative sermon tactics or, or pulls of authority um, when somebody should be explaining the Word of God that you've heard. So. We have our email address, thesubstancepod at gmail.com. If you have those in mind, um, send us an email. Let us know your experience, or especially if you have a testimonial um, about that, or even just about something you've heard on the substance that you enjoyed. You can leave a voice note and let us know, and it's a lot more personal that way. Uh, mm-hmm. So call our phone line. It's 913-703-3883. Leave a little message on there. We'd love to hear from you. And guys, super fun. Super excited to be doing the substance and really excited for next week when we will see you again on the substance. Peace. And we're so excited to get this in your hands soon. Yeah. Um, we'll probably be announcing that on some social medias too, right, Vince? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> They're the man of life for us. Sure. Um, I, actually, I actually had a different sure. lead in. I had a different lead in. Um, Sorry, brother. <laughs> you're good. You're good. You you're can good. cut my lead in. Hey, I got I you. I can cut my lead in, I mean.